Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, Screen Rats. Now, today we have a hell of a guest for you. A heck of a guest. It is none other than Darren Brown. Oh yeah, the Darren Brown. Illusionist, mentalist, magician, whatever you want to call him. He's a writer, he's also a successful painter. I mean, this guy does it all, you know. And uh, if you don't know who he is and you're listening to this uh, internationally, check him out online. He's got specials on Netflix and loads of stuff on YouTube, I'm sure. In the UK, Channel 4, still all on there. I first became aware of Darren uh, during his first TV show when it came out, I think in the year 2000-ish. And I was blown away by it. And I absolutely lapped everything up that he did after that. Huge fan. So much so that when uh, my wife moved to the UK, one of the two shows that I showed her as a sort of introduction to British culture was Peep Show and Darren Brown's uh, specials, both of which were made by the same production company, little did I know. But I was working on this panto in South London and my wife said, oh, you know, I'd love to meet Darren one day. That'd be amazing. I was like, yeah, good luck. And um, turned out the sound designer who I was working with also did his tour shows and sort of mentioned occasionally over a couple of years, like, oh, yeah, I think you'd really get on. And I was like, oh, yeah, amazing if that ever happened. And then one day in late 2011, uh, he met me and said, look, I've got uh, all this work on the Olympics for you, but also, are you interested in working for Darren? And I was like, am I? <laughs> Fuck yes, sort it out. So uh, fast forward a few days and I'm knocking on Darren Brown's door and he invites me in and we have some coffee and I meet the writers of his show with him. You know, he's got two people that work with him. And we got on like House on Fire and I thought, you know, I, I sort of did my bit to sort of be charming and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get the job. And he went, oh, you've already got the job. It was really sweet. And I worked on that tour and then I worked with him in the West End on a show and then was lucky enough a few years later to then go back and do the greatest hits tour around the UK and do that in London as well. Yeah, so because of that, I feel that we got a little bit closer in that second tour. And then uh, Darren came up here on tour recently and me and my wife sort of hung out with him and it just felt like, oh my God, we're actually friends. Are we friends? I don't know, you'd have to ask him. It feels like it. Uh, but, you know, Darren's a very famous man, he knows lots of people, but he's always really lovely to us. And, um, you know, I, I love the guy. He's absolutely fucking amazing. He has his audiences absolutely in the palm of his hand. He's, there's no one better than him that does what he does. He's absolutely brilliant and he's a bloody nice guy. And you know, when I set up this podcast, I did sort of reach out and ask if he wanted to come on at some point. And I didn't think he'd come on this early. I mean, Darren doesn't do that many podcasts. He really doesn't. And you can even get some exclusives. <laughs> I think we have some, maybe. I don't know. Um, so anyway, here he is. This is me talking to the amazing Darren Brown. Roll up, roll up. Welcome to Television Times, a weekly podcast with your host, me, Steve Otis Gunn. We'll be discussing television in all its glorious forms. From my childhood, your childhood, the last 10 years, even what's on right now. So join me as I talk to people you do know and people you don't about what scared them, what inspired them, and what made them laugh and cry here television time there he is i'm late i'm so sorry i was i was looking <laughs> i was working out answers to all your questions i haven't sent them to a lot of people i just started sending them to a couple of people this week i just wanted to sort of see what it was like if i gave people a heads up because some people are like oh you put me on the spot and they don't like it and yeah i find it difficult if you just ask I, I get into a panic and then you start to right. panic in your head because you're aware that you're not coming up with an answer and you can't so if you get your lines and something, you then all you're doing yeah. is going, I'm not giving an answer. I haven't thought of anything. There's nothing like yeah. time's moving on. And, uh, so, yeah, it's definitely yeah. good to get... Um definitely yeah. get the questions. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. I saw you about a year ago, but it seems like very recent to me. It does seem recent. I like your glasses. I think they're new. Yeah, you do. You do? I'm having real trouble with them. You don't have any problem with your eyes, do you? 
Oh, no, I do wear glasses sometimes. Do you? Yeah, I quite like it. They're quite handy disguise. I never wear them, like, for doing anything public, so... The show we're about to discuss is called Darren Brown Presents. It's a magic show called Unbelievable, which he curated. He's not actually in the show, though, which I just want to reiterate before we start. Yeah, so how is the show? I really want to see it. Is it going on tour? Uh, no, so we've. it's a show in London. It's called Unbelievable. Yeah. And we uh, opened at, do you know, the Criterion on Piccadilly? Yeah, I know, yeah. So it's just, it's just been open a little while, and it's... I really like it. It's, a, it's not very Darren Brownie. Like it's a very much a family magic show, which might be confusing some people. I think. I think people think I'm in it. Has anyone turned up expecting you there? Well, maybe some people. Yeah, some people definitely think I'm in it, but I'm not. Mm. So this is written and directed along with Andy Nyman and Andrew O'Connor, who write and direct my shows with me. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a cast of people, like actors, musicians. We wanted to take all that sort of weird ego out of what magic shows tend to be and make something that was just really sort of different and would sort of reinvent there's just so much weirdness in magic isn't there so much sort of ego and specifically very male ego um Mm -hmm. very weird place for women historically as well just being mutilated (laughs) some of that hasn't aged well yeah no no um (laughs) and uh yeah it's it's, it's a strange thing isn't it it's just built on the bottom line of it is just look how clever i am which is strange because most most art forms or whatever you want to call them, performance genres, yeah. aren't like that. They're normally about something else other than, look how clever I am. They're normally about something. Um, but that must be difficult for you because all of your shows, all of your TV shows and some of those stage shows that I've worked on are sort of about that, aren't they? They are about your your skill, your manipulation of the crowd, how clever you are, essentially, like you just said, you know. But I try to. I mean, yeah, that that is that is the sort of, that's the thing you battle with. So I try and make the shows about more about the audience than about mm. me. And I think that's, I didn't realise I was doing that until my manager mentioned me. So it's actually a really unusual thing in the world of magic. And then when he said that, it kind of like, it clicked. And that was like a helpful thing. I was oh, yes, okay, that's actually a good it's a good thought to make make sure the shows are about the audience. But yeah, it's it's a childish and um, dishonest craft, isn't it? So it's interesting challenge as a grown up. I think is to make something that is grown up and honest yeah. out of you know. So that's what keeps it interesting to me. I guess I remember you talking years ago about like renting a theatre and putting on like old vaudeville type magic and getting people that weren't famous and doing a, a show. I remember you talking about that years ago. So it's sort of I've never from that. doing that now. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> I, I always like that. Your own theater. Yeah, I always like that idea of having my own magic theatre. I think that was, but the reality of it. I spoke to Teller, you know, Penn and Teller. That yeah, I spoke to him about it. Um, he didn't say anything back, so I wasn't much of a no, he did. He does talk in relax. Very good. Um, and uh, he was saying he sort of had a similar idea, but. When you actually look into the reality of what it yeah. is to run a theatre, it's just horrendous. So it will literally—it would cost millions. millions. Like having the perfect cafe, like I'd love that. Like have a cafe down your road, which is the sort of thing that yeah. imagine people like Keanu Reeves or Robert De Niro would do. Like they just make an extraordinary restaurant or cafe just down the road, and then like just go and sit there and use it. But you know, when you watch like Kitchen Nightmares, they always say something. There's some like small restaurant in like New Jersey, and they say, uh, "How much are you in debt?" And they go, two million. <laughs> And you're like, what? <laughs> How does it cost that much? Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember a guy that a friend started a restaurant in Bristol, saying that it takes three yeah. years for a restaurant to make any profit. It might be different now. This is twenty years ago. He told it to me. Uh, three years. Like, if you break a, break a plate at a table, that's like probably the profit gone. Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about restaurants. <laughs> of you at one point for me do you know that I mean, you might not know this because it's i counted five but go and carry on 
<laughs> well, there was one uh, backstage, uh, yourself, and then there was the man on stage. But then in 2012, when I did Svengali and I was working on that, I would cycle home and I would cycle up the Archway Road and there was this enormous poster of you, a billboard. I think it was Apocalypse was about to come out. Uh-huh. Yeah, And it was just like there, there was suddenly three of you and then the televisual version I realised was completely, well, not completely different, but somewhat different to, to the, the stage persona. Which you is know those posters aren't actually me, don't you? You know that it's just a picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, but it's so, it's, you won't know what that's like unless you, you've been in other people's shoes that have worked with you, which is like to work with a person who is, you know, they're famous, but they also just, it becomes normal, doesn't it? For us, it becomes normal after a while until you go out and stage your door. And then when you cycle home and you see that person about 50 foot tall on the road, it is quite strange, I have to say. Yeah, I I guess that, I guess, what is, as, you know, it's all I've known you for years. Now you're doing a podcast. Yeah, and that is, that is an odd, that's an odd, like, Steve's doing a podcast. Like, that, you know, it's... It's not that that big of a jump, I don't think. No, I, I suppose so, but it's yeah. just, it's always a bump, isn't it, when people have different roles, you just sort of... Uh, I, I just see it all as a, as a sort of... Uh, I remember when I, when I first started performing, I was such a terrible attention seeker because I was so, I was just so insecure. And, and then when I went to university... I started, well, before I started performing, I think I just had all this frustrated need for attention and to be liked or noticed. I mean, I'm making myself loathsome, ironically. Um, mm. So when I started performing, it kind of like took care of that need uh, to an extent right. anyway. Um, and then, so I suppose that's when the split sort of happens because then like in the rest of your life, you don't, hopefully don't need to be as attention seeking because you've got mm. this job that is doing that. And then, yeah, slowly it does become like a slightly separate um Thing. And when we were rehearsing for Unbelievable, this occasionally I would, because mainly I was just sitting quietly and letting the other two get on with it because they're a bit, they're more used to directing and um, mm-hmm. more used to sort of, you know, uh, leading a room of people. I'm not, I'm not really kind of like that really in real life. So I'd often sit quietly and I'd, I'd happily work with the performers individually, but not really, not want to be heard right. over a room of people. Um, but occasionally I'd get up and say, oh, maybe we should do it like this. And I'd just get up and do a bit. And there'd be this sort of collective, Wow, you you turned into Darren Brown then. You got up, yeah. you, you became. I, it's so odd because I just don't. I I get. It. Yeah, because like that. That's the thing. I mean, we all have stories about you. If we, if we know you, like I've sat in a. I mean, I can say this on the podcast because it doesn't give anything away. But I've sat in a foyer of a hotel with you. I think it might have even been here in Newcastle. Mm. And you've given me a pack of cards, and you haven't touched that pack of cards, and then you've done a trick without touching it, mm. and I've just been Darren Brown, and it's like. What just I don't believe that happened to me. You know, it's like it's it's kind of a wild story. <laughs> I don't know what trick it was, I don't know if you remember, but it blew my mind. I went up to my room going, what the fuck? Oh, are you okay with me swearing on my own podcast? I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, so I went up to my room and I went, what the fuck? How did he do that? I don't, I, and I'm still baffled by it. I'm still baffled by it. But I love that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know. Oh, no, that's, uh, yeah, that's very nice. Well, sort of, that's one of the things we're doing, close-up magic, is the, um, hmm. is you sort of hope it just creates like a little, thing like a little memory because we've all we all have our version of it you know if somebody showing us yeah. a trick probably one of the things that might have got, got us into magic and it really you know staying with us that sort of feeling normally then gets destroyed because you end up finding out how that trick was done i had a um, and also the false memory of it is interesting i had a um the guy that was a hypnotist that got me into hypnosis martin taylor is his name. Yeah. um so i saw him in my first year at uni he did a few tricks informally afterwards uh close-up tricks and I remember him doing this trick where he took a lit cigarette back when that was people were smoking <laughs> and pushed yeah. it through someone's jumper and 
through and out the other side lid without making a hole, you know. And uh, then a few years later, because he sort of became my role model as I got started, yeah. sort of, I learned to do close-up magic, and there was a, there's a well-known trick you might do as a close-up magician, pushing a lit cigarette into a jumper, but I could never work out how he pulled it through and out the other side, like it would be a different mm. trick. And eventually I sort of found out a way of doing it. And then years later I caught up with him, and um, he said, oh, no, no, I never did that. I only just pushed it in and vanished, which actually is sort of simpler. It's as simple as a trick if, as a magician right. if you know what you're doing. But I'd created this clear false memory like I, I could absolutely see him pushing it through and out the other yeah. side and it had stunned me and and but actually spurred me on to work out a, you know a way of, a way of doing it <laughs> and there was me knowing everything about false memory because that's what you that's what you create you you half of a trick is what people remember afterwards and therefore what they as they tell it's like if you want to sell like a great holiday you've had or not sell but you know talk to a friend about a great holiday you'll you know you sort of like beef it up a bit don't you and we, we do the same yeah. thing as we talk about tricks that we've seen because we don't want to sound stupid you know we so we say you know you know he never touched it like like you just said then i probably did touch the cards but yeah, yeah the story of what you remember because <laughs> you don't want to yeah, yeah. you know you don't want to seem like you're easily duped or whatever it is um yeah, and it's so. it's such a fast it's a fascinating thing and you learn that as a magician that half of the trick is is not what you're doing but you create you say things and plant little seeds so that when the person thinks back they have a it's like you know for example if the um not referring to the trick I did with you, which I can't remember. Which I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, it's fine. There were many. That was the first one. I'm sure it was amazing. But um, like, you, maybe you have a deck of cards that's in a special order at the beginning, um, and there's a point halfway through when the person can safely shuffle them, but they can't shuffle them at the start, otherwise the trick won't work. But what you would say halfway through is, uh, take the cards, give them another shuffle, but this time do it under the table. Right, so the person takes the cards, shuffles them under the table, but that little word again, shuffle them again, mm. you sort of slipped in and then it's very easy afterwards as they remember it to think they shuffled it because as they're taking those cards under the table and shuffling they're kind of accepting the fact that they've shuffled them before when they have yeah. the act of doing it you're making it very very tempting to to misremember specifically that that they had shuffled at the start and then the trick is truly impossible another amazing thing that i remember being i think it was in torquay in a hotel in torquay and there was this young guy who was very he wanted to show, he was a new magician and he wanted to show you a trick mm. and he came up to you sort of, I think quite nervously and he blew you away. And I remember watching that and you going, how did you do that? And I'm thinking, oh my God, he's blown down away. And he was so happy that he tricked you and, and you were so like generous with your, and I, I, you know, generally on the road, I'm not picking you up, but you are quite generous to other magicians, aren't you? And people showing you tricks and, you know, you don't always know how they've done no, it. No, not at all. They're like the yeah. best bits when you get fooled by things that you, you know exactly how it's done. Like if you, but you don't, it doesn't occur to you that you, you know how it's done because the trick's yeah. done so well that you're just, but one of our guys on the last tour, Bradley, he did this trick that was just like the best card trick I'd, it felt like the best card trick I've ever seen. It made me squeal with delight. <laughs> I found out after when I thought about it, I got to know exactly how that's done, but it was just right. done with such sort of, you know, kind of sort of charm and, um, it's all about the feelings, which means it has to be about the other person. You, if it is just you want to show how clever you are, you're never going to quite hit the spot where it feels like magic because you're making it about yourself. When I came to see Showman and you put the, was it a ring on the glass? Mm, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm sure I've seen how that's done, but I couldn't remember. And it, the simplest thing like that, I, I just didn't understand what was happening. And, and I walked out of there and that was the thing that I couldn't, it was just niggling me. It still niggles me. I still can't remember, but I know it's got to be a trick because you can't do that. <laughs> But and then they took it home. Yeah, it was so it was a person's wedding ring, and then I put it on a glass leave, it, leave it with them to keep. 
But you know, like the false memory thing and the suggesting stuff. So I just want to ask, I just always pull this out, even though I'm not actually going to show it, but you shot my dog and I love you, my book available in all shops and online. So I used to do this thing when I used to get on a bus when I was a kid. I used to get on the bus in London. Sometimes I'd buy a red bus rover, um, which was I think about 60p at the time. And you could go all over London with that one ticket, right? Mm. And I would then forge it with a razor blade and some pencils. <laughs> And like, you know, just keep doing that or, or change it for a week because they were the same color for like a day or a week. It was just easy. But if I didn't have one, I would do this thing where I, it's hard to explain. I, I would get on the bus, I would look out the window. And then when the, when the ticket inspector came around, because they had conductors then, would come upstairs, I'd just give him a little nod, which in my mind said to him, you've already seen it's my ticket. Seen mine, yeah. And it worked every time. And I don't know what I was doing there, but it, I think it was taught by my parents to sort of, you know, almost um, like when we used to, see, you know, it's, it's, in my book, it's quite current. As a kid, I used to do, you know, some shoplifting and stuff. And the whole thing was to... Which we share. That we do. Yeah, I had, I had my time. Yeah. You know, you'd get to the door and instead of, I'd never walk out, you know, like really bad thieves would just like look around and do all that and then just walk out like an idiot. Yeah. I, I would get to the door and then I'd fumble and i go, oh, have I got... And I'll just sort of put something in the bag and go, oh, no, I'm fine. And then I'd leave. And that fact that I'd stopped and not just stormed out. Or go to the counter and ask a question, which also provides a bit of... Oh, the, 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 the what, time, what time does the shop close when you change the label on the fucking jeans? <laughs> to do that. I remember you telling me about switching a pound coin for a penny in your chain. Yes, I used to keep a penny in my palm and I'd hold it with my little finger. Because when the pound coin came out, it was just absolutely brilliant for me. So this is giving you a pound in your change, isn't it, importantly? Yes, I used to get, well, I'd do two. I would hold the penny and then drop the penny under sort of the, the walls fridge and then go, oh, I dropped my pound coin and then they wouldn't be able to move because it's too heavy and they'd give me one at the till. Uh... The other one was keep a penny and flip it into a top pocket or side pocket in change and then go, oh, I think you've given me the wrong change and make 99p every time. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will be taken away in handcuffs after this, but <laughs> it's all in the book anyway. I was a kid. It's juvenile stuff. But yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is it's funny how magic and, and what you do is very akin to thieving. Yeah, and <laughs> I still have a thing now that if I put something back on a shelf in a shop, I always do a little slightly magician's display that my hands are empty. Because I have a, I have a residual sort of guilt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. It's like, it's like a, show. just to the camera, just, just the camera. CCTV. I, I just can imagine that. that someone's watching. Like there's a store detective <laughs> watching. So I kind of always show my uh, my hands are empty. I stopped when I um, set off the alarms in Harrods. I was stealing a Luther Vandross tape and I had it in my pocket. <laughs> All the alarms went off. That was around the time that they started putting alarms like that in shops. Oh, Darren, you should have gone to Woolworths. It was way easier there. Should have done. Oh, that's probably what brought them down, actually. I've probably spent too much time there. But I remember looking around my bedroom as a teenager and pretty much everything, everything was stolen. told you this i used to terrible i used to get cassettes from like hmv or whatever yeah they used to have most cassettes before they were just they used to have screws in them do you remember so you could unscrew the housing of the cassette take the actual tape of an album no. move it and then just put a blank tdk tape in it screw it back up take it back to the shop and go sorry i think there's something wrong with this it's blank and then they'd play it and it would be blank <laughs> and you'd have the actual album but in like tdk casing so i used to sort of do hang that on a well. second you're taking the actual the physical tape out of the housing of the original cassette and then you're rolling that into cassette. another cassette just place it in 
I knew how to do it. You just place it in and then put blank tape in the real one, take it back to HMV and get a full refund. So it comes out in like a little thing that you can insert into another... Yeah, a little spool. And they'd say, oh, well, do you want another one? i say, no, I've already got it somewhere else. It was for someone's birthday or some lie like that. <laughs> oh, that's very, uh, yes, that's very good. God. There's a lot, a lot of talk about thieving. Uh, and you're okay to leave all that in. <laughs> I, I don't mind if you don't mind. <laughs> no, I don't It is mind. bad, kids. It is bad. Yeah. Don't do it. Beep, beep. I watched this film the other day called Totally Killer. Oh, if I mention films, I have to do this. Are they, are they the bad thing because they're not TV? Unless they're watched on telly and on a video. Yeah. If you go to the okay, video, good. yeah. All right. What show was it? I should know this. Where you got someone, you put them in the photo booth in Marrakesh. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a triple treat. Yeah, that's right. And they, uh... My favourite ever thing ever on television, I think I've ever seen. Well, I liked it. It was a funny, it was a funny thing watching. So, so yeah, this, the thing, he gets, goes into a photo booth, falls asleep, and then he's hypnotised and we take him and wake him up in the same photo booth in, in Marrakesh, in a news agency, in, a, in the, the main square. Yeah. When I watched it, the thing I really it's liked, and it's slightly summer. sort of cut down a bit for TV, but he, um, yeah. he sort of wakes up and can hear all this sort of noise. And so he sort of opens the curtain and it's, yeah. it's weirdly gone from like, you know, outside a train station in uh, London to is in this shop. <laughs> so he closes the curtain again and goes back in. Waits a bit. Then he goes out into the newsagents and then he looks out of the door into the square and then goes back into the news. It's like that what the drunks used to do when they look at the bottle to go, Am I? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's this, yeah, he's there. There's this, it's the retreat every time back. It was just like a little telling thing that you wouldn't necessarily know to write if you were writing that in a scene that the person, each time there's a frightening new step forward, you retreat back. It was a bit like, um, Another telling moment for me was uh, we did a, a zombie thing and it was with an arcade game. You might, you might remember it. Yeah, where well, you put him in the game. Yeah, yeah. And seeing um, what somebody... So they wake up with a gun, which they don't know isn't a real gun, and mm-hmm. actors in zombie costumes and, you know, prosthetics coming towards them in a replica of this game. And he, again, he doesn't, he doesn't know this is for TV, so he doesn't know that it's not real. And he's standing there with a gun and there's somebody coming towards him who doesn't know it's a real threat. And again, just seeing what do people actually do. And this guy Mm. just had a total sort of meltdown. Swearing immediately. Yeah, it was just this, (laughs) we had to cut it down because Channel 4, who couldn't have been any more permissive and supportive throughout, were like, oh, that's a bit, let's just (laughs) have to pull back a bit. But it was such a, (laughs) such a just sort of release of just sheer adrenaline and and fear that lasted about four times the length that you'd see it on page. Again, you wouldn't write. You'd you'd have somebody in a film, they'd react sort of differently. So I've I've sort of collected for some, you know, future reference, all these things that people actually, actually do. The thing I was getting to with the photo booth was they've made a time travel film. And it just reminded me of of that happening in in your show, because this girl goes into one of those photo booths and it gets, I don't know, hit by lightning or whatever. And she goes back to 1987 (laughs) to solve the murder of her mother's killer or whatever. Like, I just thought when they used that, I was like, oh, that's Darren's. I love that. to some uh, potty pod pod questions i mean the only thing i'd say is i don't i haven't watched tv tv for so long and I, i've never really been a big tv watcher anyway i do the kind of you know streaming netflixy type thing is there anything you watch right now is there anything you're into uh i'm actually watching line of duty at the moment which my mum <laughs> did you start at the beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's terrific. Um, I really don't like British crime police We started watching something the other day. I won't say what it is, but it was just that awful kind of, 
Oi! Where'd you think you're It's just all that awful kind of terrible writing and acting. I just can't stand it, and they're all like that. And you watch so many great American TV things that just they all seem to be so extraordinary at doing TV acting and the writing's mm. all so good that suddenly just brought back down to earth whenever, whenever you watch anything British. I generally... Um, gosh, but, um, yeah, love, love Line of Duty. Quite enjoying that. My wife sort of stopped watching that stuff too. She says, oh, it's just another one of these... BBC Sunday night. I can't. I can't watch it. She thinks it just looks like actors acting. It's totally. That's exactly what it is with the British, particularly with the British stuff. It's just actors acting. Yeah. Costumes, fake guns. Costume. It's just. It's all I can see. But you don't think that with the American stuff. For some yeah. reason, it all just seems so much more believable. It was watching the Bodyguard. Everybody was loving, and that mm. really did it for me. I said, I can't. All I'm seeing is supporting cast actors some people in a room writing script couldn't i just couldn't get into it and it's a bit boring it's like going to work sometimes it does feel like a reality show that you've gone to work with the police and you're in you're trying to do all the paperwork or something rather than you know it's not like life on mars or something cool like that you know i'll be honest it's a good honest series of a police detective who has a bunch of personal problems and eventually she goes too far and she's he, she, taken off the case, has to hand a badge in, but decides to pursue the case anyway, still dealing with her personal problems, and in the end uh, catches the uh, villain. Why can't we see a series like that? Yeah, it's all the same, isn't it? <laughs> That's realistic. <laughs> okay, I'm going to delve in here and see what, see what happens. So, I mean, be careful how you answer this one. Your phone might start ringing, but gun to head. You know about that? Oh, you're not, oh, you're doing uh, that out of order. Okay, no, all right. I'm not doing them in order. I'm just going to pull one out and see what happens. I can't, no, this is a what reality show would I be on, isn't it? Oh, I think you've gone for the only one I couldn't answer. Well, I, I did do ballroom dancing when I was at university. I, I don't know if it's a reality. Is it a reality show? It's not a reality show, is it? Strictly. Um, I'd, I'd hate. I would. Would you do that? <laughs> is that? In, is this an exclusive? In ten years' time, we'll see you on Strictly. I think I have been asked, and uh, I never quite got to me. I think. Maybe my manager said, you don't want to do it. No, 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 that was it. No, no, not, not quite yet, not yet. What about, um, did you do country dancing at school? I did country I dancing. No, I did proper ball. I, I have awards for my, for my cha-cha. Well, you should be on it then. You'd win it, hands down. But I can't, oh, awful. <laughs> no, you're stepping back a bit from the limelight. You can just go and do Strictly. One of my fondest memories, a thing that never made TV, but from making the TV shows, was in one of the early Mind Control series. I'm... It's the campus thing. I'm ballroom dancing. We decided to bring, you know, bring in my other skills. So I'm yeah. ballroom dancing <laughs> with old ladies, a selection of old ladies at the Rivoli, not Rivington, what's it called? Rivoli, the Rivoli um, ballroom, which is this, again, right, sort of camp um, dance place at London. Anyway, and I'm reading their minds about, you know, sort of first kiss or what their husband did for a living when mm. he was alive. And I'm doing a really bad waltz with this lady and she's whatever. I'm saying the stuff, you know, I'm, and she's just sort yeah. of going, yes, that's right. Yes. No, no reaction. <laughs> no sort of like, no amazement. Just, yes, yes. He was a, he was a carpenter. Yes. As we're waltzing. It was just, <laughs> just terrible. It's the most bizarre is, is this mind control? Is this the first season? It's one, yeah, it's one of those early, I think it's one of the, one of the early specials. When you used to walk backwards through Borough Market, nicking people's watches and finding items, that was just to blow my mind. Oh, yeah. I remember watching, I remember seeing you for the first time, actually, and just say that out loud. Um, I was on tour and I was in Milton Keynes and we all, someone put the telly on. I, know, I didn't know who you were. I, was, I don't think anyone did at that point. And, the, and one of your first episodes came on and we just sat there going, what the fuck? <laughs> Is this? And then that was one episode, Darren, and we were all in. Oh, as simple as that. Amazing. Were you nicking people's watches in Blackpool as well? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, get them to hand me their uh, <laughs> yeah. watches, wallets, and things. Yeah. 
yeah. I loved all that. Anyway, so I can't anyway. give you I can't give you an answer with the reality. Oh, no, no, that's all right. Well, do you want me to cut all that strictly thing in case they call you? No, I mean, you do what you wish. What's the TV show you saw as a child that scared you? So the things that came to mind on that were, I mean, obviously Doctor Who and the Daleks, which I'm sure everybody uh, mm. says, but there were a couple of things that were sort of not exactly scary, but things that really got under my skin and have stayed with me ever since. And one of them, and I've tried to track it down and find out exactly what it was called. It was, I think it was called The White Stallion. And there was something else called White Horses, which it wasn't that. Okay. It was a children's TV series. Uh, and it was colour, not black and white. I'd love to, if anybody like knows this, please. What was the premise of it? It was a, um, all it was, the bit that got me was the title sequence or the, maybe the credits at the end. Just had this sort of white horse on a in a sort of a green field or on a hill or something. Yeah, and it was a very haunting moonlit image of this of this sort of horse, almost seemed to sort of glow, and it used to bring me out in sort of goosebumps. It was something, and I partly because I cannot find it anywhere. I've gone through YouTube. Hmm. Um, Sapphire and Steel uh, was another one that kind of I found just that weird. What was wrong with I used to like that? What was creepy about it? I think it was probably just the age I was. I never, I didn't quite watch it. It wasn't really a series I watched, but I would catch bits of it and just found it a bit odd and creepy. And of course, these are all the things that in my TV shows, like many years later, I've kind of tried to recreate some of those sorts of feelings. Yeah. Try, there's quite a lot of like slightly seventies sci-fi. You know, I love the idea of those sort of primary colour lights, changing mm. colours and brainwashing and all of that stuff. It's all yeah, yeah, takes yeah, you yeah. back to the, uh, this kind of memory, sense memory of kind of those sorts of things. Because those, I'm of an age where that was the stuff that would that felt really um, odd and creepy and would get under my skin. My brother Dominic, he's nine years younger than me. He was terrified of nosy bonk. That came up last week on an episode. Ben Crompton, the actor, he brought it up. I used to watch Jigsaw, and I blanked that out. Oh, Jigsaw, wasn't it? Not Let's Pretend. That's what it was in. I can, I can still got the tune in my head. I can still do the tune. Yeah, very, uh, very odd. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I guess it's that sort of Tales of the Unexpected sort of era. Yes, that was a Oh, Hammer House of Horror, that was it. Yeah. That's the correct answer for this. Mm. Hammer House of Horror, the house that bled to death. That's the one. Yeah, right, with the blood coming out of the taps. Out the taps, not the pipes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was another one where... There's this family and they're getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And on the television, there's there's been a nuclear attack and they're, they're sort of trapped in. And every time they go to a window, it's covered in metal. And then they can't remember anything and they realize they have no memories. And then right at the end, there's just this sort of girl in the 21st century in like a silver suit goes to like the airing cupboard and gets out of her doll's house. <laughs> And they've been the people in the doll's house the whole time getting hot. Oh, you and just saw the ending of that one for me. I was going to watch that. Oh, you've had 40 years, Darren. <laughs> Diana Dawes was in one of those as well. I remember, I remember a rabbit. I always used to hate it when animals would get um, sort of cut up. There was some, some weird, I remember a weird children's TV thing as well. Oh, no, no. Actually, that was one that made me cry. That's a different question. Well, I'll save that one. But um, yeah, Hammer House of Horror, brilliant. It's funny because you said like the pulsing lights, there's a lot of green light in 70s stuff. Yeah. Some mysterious being is just a green light in the corner talking to you. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of that. They weren't worried about scaring us. <laughs> no, I love it. And those uh, those Christmas um, ghost stories as well. And, the, you know, the um, whistle and I'll come to you. And I can't remember. the sort of things that Mark Gatiss has, has, has resurrected. It's mm. really odd, creepy. Oh, what is that? What, they, what do they do? How are they? I love it. See, I have a theory. I'm talking to a few people about this. It's like, I think because it was the children of boomers in that, in that era that they were trying to sort of toughen us up, trying to give us some metal and not make us all, you know, 
little scaredy cats. Mm. So they were terrifying us for like the entire decade, <laughs> as far as I can see. I just think there's more creativity. I think there's um, there's an odd thing now, isn't it? There's no sense of a present culture. Everything is everything's retro. Everything's a recreation of mm. something. I don't I don't quite know when that happened, but I noticed it first with music. Everything was sort of um, yeah. pastiche, and now. Everything is like you've got to, you know, design your kitchen. It's all like recreating whatever it is, Georgian kitchens. Now it's all like little curtains on cupboard. Like it's a, a, everything. Mm. The whole oh, it's a beautiful rainbow has just appeared outside your windows. Um, everything um, has gone um, retro, and it's it's a it's a strange thing. It's a strange sort of moment to to be in. And I, I wonder if it's I wonder if there's a socioeconomic reason for it that young people not having the money and the ability to just I don't know. Where's the next punk? You know, where's the next something? Yeah, 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 exactly. There's not, yeah, there's not really a current thing. I really struggle to, I mean, there are obviously some things we're going to look back on and go, oh yeah, you know, the, the kitchen island, for example. <laughs> yeah. might be something that we look back on and find hilarious that we were doing that. But nonetheless, yeah. there are, so there are obviously those things, of course, and how we dress and so on. But even, even the way we dress is all sort of, um, I do wonder whether in terms of that sort of horror thing, whether that's very rare, you get a, you know, you get a fresh, good horror. We seem to be, Everything, everything seemed to have started around the sort of 70s. But mind you, that may be really untrue. It might just be that's my era. And maybe there's just something about the era you grew up in that just feels unique. What is a television show that you would remove from history? No one would remember it. You would, men in blackie, you press the button, it's gone. No one remembers it. All right, I'm going to be controversial here. I, I can guarantee you have not been given this answer. Juliet Bravo. Well, would be. I have not been given that answer because nobody remembers it. <laughs> not Tenko. Yeah, okay, Juliet no, Bravo. No, God, it could just easily be Tenko. Basically, there is a, a genre of, of programs in my head. Tenko is one, certainly. Juliet Bravo is another. And it yeah. also extends into the big match, match of the day, Ski Sunday, that are the programs my parents would watch that I had no interest in. Mm. I wouldn't watch them, but the the theme tunes fill me with a sort of dread. It's like that sort of it's that sort of um, horrible side of, of nostalgia, which I do like. I love the whole nostalgic feeling. But there's that sort of thing. Oh, Mum's got that on. Bird <laughs> um, and those. Yeah. I, I mean, nothing nothing wrong with the shows, but I would happen <laughs> just to just to remove that triggering thing for me. I would uh, lose all the things that mum was watching. Some of them I would watch with her. I used to watch Butterflies, Wendy, Wendy Craig. Craig. Yeah, exactly. Apart from that, yeah, it's it's yeah, it is that it's the world of mainly police, the gentle touch with Jill Gascoigne. You you know the tune to that. I remember that coming out because I'm no it's not that was something else general touches da, 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 da. no it's not oh, I had it. hang on can we find it uh, <laughs> no that is the first is the first one but for me you saying that just i don't know why it reminded me but it reminded me of the results was it grandstand or map or the afternoon football thing You'd have to be quiet while the results were yeah. What it meant is... Two score draws. Yeah, your parents were out of action, and it's like when your parents had their friends over and you'd gone to bed or whatever, and you'd go down and they'd be like... They'd be, suddenly the parents would be like in grown-up world. Yeah. So 
weirdly it's that it's that feeling as well did your parents play the pools oh no i think my grandparents because oh, no. that was usually why people watched the, the results and those shows to sort of win money the pools man would come to the door it was always a man sorry guys um and he'd come to the door and my granddad would give him money and then he'd give us a spot the ball and then i would pretend to put the ball in and one day i don't think it was a good idea but one day they came and there was a a little brown envelope and it said, Master Stephen Otis Gunn. And I was like, oh, wow, what's for me? And it had two pounds in it, two pound notes. And I'd won. Only years later did I realize I probably didn't win. But he could have turned me into a gambler. <laughs> <laughs> I was about nine. <laughs> was yeah. That's great. My granddad That's was great. always doing that. He was a bus driver and he used to take me on the bus and at the terminus he'd help we'd get up all the seats and we'd find coins under them and for years i thought that all seats in london buses had money under them so i would pop them every time i could sometimes i'd find something but not that often again placed there by him placed there by him hang on was this the same grandfather that taught you how to scam the bus conductor with a gentle knock no that would be my mum right and is your mum your grandfather's daughter yeah my granddad was a thief apparently he used to steal carpets and he I watched him steal carpets. carpets in the 60s and sell them. And he he, he's the, he was an old man. He wasn't that old. He was in his 60s in the 80s. And he used to walk into certain supermarkets and he'd get, what are the big batteries? Size D, they call them now, is it? The big ones? And yeah. he'd like get four of them and just shove them in his pockets and do all this and then sort of walk out. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so blatant. <laughs> at least at least go for a triple A. a tv character from television could be fictional could be a cartoon who would it be you'd actually be that for 24 hours yeah grandpa flump grandpa flump is that the flumps which i've erased yeah he did nothing but play his flumper phone and nap so very sedate <laughs> and he might have twiddled his toes in between. but i mean that that was yeah that was it i i without a doubt i'm of an age now right you know i've got i mean look i'm in a one well, I'm, I'm in a cardigan i realize our listeners mm-hmm. can't tell that maybe they can tell if they're very astute but I'm in a cardigan, and I have I have I have a favourite spatula, and I'm of age. So I, I would I take Grandpa Flump for um, for 24 hours. I, I was going to go with Bod. Bod, yeah, yeah. He lived a simple life. Yeah. Throw an apple up, and it would come back down again, and would muse on that. It was life was simple. Um, but I, uh, yeah, in the end, it was um, Grandpa Flump sit by the fire. Do you have a favourite pair of slippers, then, Darren? I got a lot of slippers. You see that? I got like six pairs of slippers. I bought my first pair of slippers last year. You only bought your first pair of slippers last yeah, year. I, slippers are the best. I think I go out in my. I get into trouble, so I go out in my slippers, and then I think I just spend years saying, "Oh, my feet are cold," and then you know, my wife will go, "Why don't you get some slippers?" I go, "I'm not going to buy slippers, am I?" And so I spend decades just making my life difficult when I don't need to, and then finally I will discover it myself. Because they've got like, you know, <laughs> Pulp Fiction on them or something. I think it's like mine says like Spud Fiction and they're two potatoes dressed up. And I was like, yeah, I love those. Because they're not right. old man slippers. They're still vaguely. Yeah, you've kept it young <laughs> with the vintage film. <laughs> Gotta go and get my children. Okay. Yeah, they'll be fine. Someone, someone will pick them up. Someone will pick them up, yeah. <laughs> they would have done in the 70s. Where's Chai the cat when you need him? Exactly. <laughs> they should bring those back terrifying absolutely terrifying. we were talking about that the other day me and ben like when they used to like have a kid just fall on the on the live rail and just die and they'd be like you know and now blue peter yeah so weird okay what's the tv show that would be an embarrassing guilty pleasure that you wouldn't normally admit to i don't like watching tv unless it's really gross me then i mm. then i love it i would like i really binge things but i can't watch something unless it's 
really gets me. I hate that yeah. that thing of like, oh, you must watch. I love that thing. You must watch this oh, series. It was brilliant. I mean, the first eighteen series <laughs> yeah. are dreadful. You will hate yourself for eight months. Yeah, and then a story will be enjoyable. So no, yeah, I I, I can't do that anymore. I, I mean, I am starting to be the person that switches things off. Do you know what though? One of my answers, I realised, it was because of you. Was the one the show? Uh, one of your questions you put on the list was uh, the show that needed more credit than it got. Okay, what's that? I think you may know my answer to that because you recommended it. Ah, it's um. Yes. No sleeves, Thoreau. Yeah, the leftovers. The leftovers. What a brilliant! Now that is, so you got to get past the first. First series is okay. Is okay. Second series is great. Third series is visionary. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful thing. I love the leftovers. Yeah, was the first season rubbish? It wasn't rubbish. It was just like, yeah, had an amazing opening. Yeah, and then sort of uh, was sort of fine. Horrible. Uh, and then it got better and better. I think. But yeah, there were loads of shows around that time. There was one called like the event where like a certain amount of people died, obviously, you know, leftovers, was it 2% of the population just vanish overnight? Yeah, yeah. Which is really, it's, it's the baby missing from the car seat that is like, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. Really? come on guys, <laughs> don't do that to me. Yeah. So now you've erased one, what is the TV show you would like to bring back from the dead? Going to go with Cosby Show. <laughs> Sans Cosby? Um, actually, I, I thought, do you remember Monkey? They have bought it back, Darren. It's already done. Oh, you're kidding. No, they remade it. Oh. It's full of, it's full of young, pretty people. Uh, okay. No trippy tucker. Oh, that's a shame. I mean, not a shame it's full of young, pretty people, but sh- yeah, I suppose it had to be done. Okay, I'll go back to the Cosby show. Then. <laughs> Original cast? Original cast. What happened to that? What happened to that? Is there a TV performance? You've got one for this, for sure. Is there a TV performance that you saw, probably as a kid or a teenager, mm. that influenced your career? Yeah. That, uh, I used to watch Paul Daniels a bit, and it wasn't so much Paul, but he would have this uh, guy called Max Maven, who was a mind reader, who passed away very recently. Um, mm. And we we knew each other, it was, but he was a tremendous man and performer. And I remember... Perhaps a similar feeling to as you were describing when you said you watched that episode of mine of like, what is, what is this? Why isn't this man on the news? <laughs> Just this sort of extraordinary thing. And that was that was such a great feeling that sort of stayed with me. And although I didn't, it didn't then make me think, oh, I should do this myself. But when I looked back, I remember that very sort of seminal sort of well, yeah, experience of watching those, well, I say those, watching performers. There were a couple of others, a guy called Chan Canasta, who I didn't see back then, but have since uh, discovered. He was a Polish mind reader, but performed in England in English around the 50s and 60s. So he's on uh, YouTube. Weirdly also, I'd have to include um, Jeremy Beadle in uh, Game for a Laugh. It's a love Game for a Laugh. Game for a Laugh. And again, just that, that whole thing of like the big practical joke and candid camera and all of that, that's definitely, yeah. um, that's definitely been... I can uh, see how that would have influenced you for sure. The weird, the weird microphone he had when you could hear him perfectly well when he wasn't holding the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> the meaningless mic. Um, always was as bad as the Terry Wogan, the tiny one. Do you remember he had a Yeah, he did. Yeah, I think it was, the, it was the same one. That wasn't on. <laughs> that was not on. And the funny little um, yeah, policeman's hat always. But yeah, I used to love that. Yeah. And the bleeps. And you find out years later, they were putting bleeps in for swearing when 
no one was swearing just because it was funny. We just get a laugh. Oh, really? Yeah, they just add bleeps. Why not? Couldn't do that nowadays, I'm sure. But oh, that's good. Back in the day when you could add a bleep. I love Paul Daniels' show. There, like somebody brought this up already. Um, apparently, there was an episode where he sort of does this trick where he goes in sort of a box full of spikes or whatever, mm. and it goes wrong, and then they just cut. They end and this, then, yeah, I remember. And yeah. nobody said anything for a week, and you just had to wait mm. to see if the show came back on the next Saturday. Was that what happened? Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. And I think Chan Canassa did a similar thing of shutting down everyone's TVs across the country. Oh, really? Yeah, what wow. lovely... They're proper little cultural reference points, aren't they? You can do it now with the internet and everything. Yeah, I just saw him walking out of Pret. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> It'd just be that, wouldn't it? Oh, that's what I wanted to say. You still call yourself a mentalist? I've never really used the word because it's sort of sort of funny, isn't it? It reminds me of Alan Partridge every single yeah, time. Yeah, I know, exactly. You're a mentalist. Another vintage series. Yeah, my, my partner's quite a bit younger than me, and I remember saying to him, oh, let's watch, uh, what was it? I think it was Back to the Future or something. I said, oh, I want to see that. Let's watch that. He said, oh, I love Back to the Future. I don't really feel like watching an old film. And I was, it was just like, oh, it's an old that's an old film. It's gone with the wind. It's basically gone with it. Yeah, it's gone with the wind. Like, no difference. Just... Well, that's the funny thing. Like, my, my son keeps saying to me, he, he's got an inkling what South Park is. He's like, you, how long, how old do I have to be to watch South Park? I'm like, 18. Yeah. 100%, 18. But when you're 18, that will be a 32-year-old movie. So will you care about that? I wouldn't have watched a 32-year-old movie when I was 18. I had South Park on my list, actually. Did you? What for? Funniest, funniest thing that made me cry with laughter, which was the uh, Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh episode yeah. of South Park. I think it was, yeah, just extraordinary. Unbelievably, South Park is advertised as being okay for ages 13 and up. Something I cannot believe. What do you think will be the top show on television in 2050? <laughs> you had top genre, and actually... Yeah, what do you think it will be? Well, I don't know. I, you, you, I think there'll be a complete lack of cultural reference. All these things you're talking about, the moment with Paul Daniels or the whatever, those mm. things, and the Charlie the Cat in those uh, public service things. Um, as everything gets sort of personalised and, and all the, you know, we're not watching TV anymore. I, you know, trying to, uh, I, my history is putting on like these sort of TV event sort of shows and that, that's... Mm. An odd thing to try and do nowadays, isn't it, really? Because that's not how people watch TV. I mean, a large number of people still do, but that's not quite how people watch TV. Well, yeah, because you, you come up all the time when I say, what's the last big event TV that you can remember? And it's you. Oh, that, I mean, that probably was about the last time that sort of meant much. Um, hmm. So uh, that's nice. That's nice to know that. Thank you. Um, so I, I kind of think that... I don't know. I don't even know what genre will mean. I think I just wrote that because... If you'd have asked me in the 90s, what are people going to be watching in the mid-2020s? Yeah. I wouldn't have said ballroom dancing, people skating around on ice yeah. or baking and cooking all the time. Yeah. You would never have guessed that. Yeah, it's it's the phenomenon of the, uh, of the of the sort of cars with wings. I remember looking at sort of Victorian um, images of what London will look like in 100 years' time, and it was sort of yeah. cars, cars with wings, not cars with yeah. wings. Sorry, it wasn't Victorian. It was, what was it? It was basically... Whatever that era was, it yeah. was that technology. It's like going, well, the cassette tapes will be really tiny in a hundred yeah. years. Like, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, whatever. It's, it's, and it's, it's the same thing. We just can't, we can't really step forward and... You can't conceive of something you don't know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to draw futuristic watches when I was about 14, really detailed, and they come with tiny cassettes and a tiny little needle that would press all the buttons because I couldn't conceive that there wouldn't be a physicality to it. And that's an odd thing, isn't it? It's an odd thing now. To Growing up as a, as a kid now, you sort of have no intrinsic sense of how music happens, how a hmm. thing creates a sound that you might listen to, or how... A, how a camera takes a photograph. It's just a sort of a digital output on, on one mm. thing that does everything. That's odd, isn't it? That's an odd sort of, um, 
an odd sort of subtraction, something like this, like a, a, a minus, not to have a sort of... Something tactile that you can touch. A, so I really love like old school audio and I, I took a an amp in to get looked at today and I was taking yeah. my speaker cables in because I couldn't yeah, work out how to, and I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've yeah, been yeah. trying to I've been hooking up all my the amps and CD players and I just I love all that stuff and it's a really nostalgic I've got it all to hand there and I got a, wow is that I a mini disc player that's, that's a CD a, player oh, there's a mini disc player we've got everything here yeah I remember looking at records and wondering how the music was in there it's, it's kind of weird it reminds me of that um Calvin and Hobbes cartoon when the Dad is saying to Calvin, look, you've got pointing a record player and saying, look, two points, one on the outside, one on the inside of this record, both traveling at the same speed, but taking the same amount of time to travel two different distances <laughs> or something like that. It was a real, uh, it was a real head fuck. I had this, um, I got it when I was 10. So I don't know if you remember these, but they used to have, it was a, it was a horse racing game, but it was on vinyl. And it had different grooves that it could go down. So you'd put it on and a different horse would win every time so you could take bets on the horse. Again, a gambling game for children. But, <laughs> but it was really interesting. I've never seen that since or any version of that. You ever seen anything like that? I'm still trying to work out the uh, record thing in my head. <laughs> so I wasn't listening to what you said. <laughs> this is something I started asking. Your perception of it, what's it like to be famous? That's a good question. I don't really get asked that very often. What's it like being famous? Um, and some nice things get nicer and horrible things get horribler. So mm. um, so there's a sort of a slight intensifying of things, but I don't think there's an overall, much of an overall sense of it's much better than life before or, or, or worse. I think whatever your sort of general attitude towards life is will just will become intensified too. But like you know, nice things get nicer. So some, so you know, the fact that people, not everybody, but um, might be more interested in you or what you've got to say, or find your jokes yeah. funnier, or decide that they like you before you've made much of an effort to do, do anything. I mean, that's kind of nice. There's a nice that aspect of it is good. But then on the other hand, you know, you have stalkers sometimes, or you. Your private life might be in the papers or stuff like that that can be a bit horrible. Or sometimes you're just trying to, you know, go out and buy plasters and there's a big thing or someone wants a picture and someone else wants yeah. a picture and someone else wants a picture and just sometimes you're really feeling miserable and, you know, but those are all feel like really stupid things to complain about um, for all the nice stuff. So I, I think it just sort of, there's an intensifying around the edges. Um, uh, I like... Some of it. I think there's a there's a. Um, we all like the idea of life becoming a bit more sort of exciting and being a, a, a sort of the idea of transcendence is is important to all of us, which is why I think religion, even though I'm an atheist, uh, and there's a you know uh, there's a million reasons to sort of um, diss it nowadays, but it's pointing yeah. back at something which is important, which is the our, our need to experience transcendence in some form. In just a very ordinary form, you know, life is something we all would like to be better. And I think unless we know where to put that, we tend to put it on things like fame or having more money or things that we think will give us that feeling of, you know, a better life or a happier life. And they don't, they, you know, they don't. And it's worth, it's worth knowing that. I mean, it's said some things get better, but some things, some things do get, uh, certainly get worse. And do you feel the pressure to constantly come up with things? Because obviously you've got your books, you've got uh, your boot camp podcast, you've got your theatre shows. Uh, 
are you taking a little break from some of it or are you, are you writing a show for yourself? Or? I am. I'm taking a proper break now. Yeah, a real burnout. Um, uh, so I was doing the Showman tour, which was the last show, which mm. was like a year and a half or something. But then at the same time, I was writing and working on this new show, Unbelievable. So it's sort of been, um, uh, it ended up all being a bit, all being a bit too much. Um, so, yeah, something I'm really, I'm really not very good at is hobnobbing with other sort of, or not other famous people, you know, sort of famous people and meeting up. I'm terrible. I seem to always mess, <laughs> always mess that up. I, I blanked. So, um, so I was at, a, I did um, this. Last time this happened, I was. I was at. So I don't, I'm not going to ask you to tell your Hillary Clinton story. <laughs> no, God, no, no, it won't be that. No, I, well, I, I'm not, I, I do it all the time. So like, I was, I was on this James Corden show out in the states promoting my Broadway show a while back, and yeah. I was in the dressing room next to Charlize Theron, who was amazing. And we had an adjoining door. When I arrived early and thought the door was to the loo, thought there'd be a, a loo attached to the dressing room and walked through and realised, oh no, it's someone else's dressing room, just came back in. But then when I was there, sometime later, she burst into my dressing room, obviously making the same mistake, and uh, screamed. And so I'm like, oh no, don't let me stop you. Um, but so she screamed and uh, went back in and it was kind of funny and sweet and then we both did our interviews and then um, yeah. afterwards, I'm sort of in the green roomy bit and Joel Edgerton, who you may know, is an actor just yes, but at the time I didn't I didn't know him. I think he had directed the show and maybe he was in it that Charlize had been in. Anyway, he comes over and is chatting to me with some, someone else, a friend of his. And um, I, I just, I didn't know, is, is he someone in the crew? Is he part making the show? I didn't, I didn't know who he was. And he sort of introduced mm. himself, but I didn't quite, didn't quite catch it. So anyway, I think I'm yeah. just chatting with a regular member of the public. And in the middle of this conversation, Charlize walks over because of this, hilarious, embarrassing thing that had happened earlier on. So she comes over and very yeah. sweetly says, hi, hello. And, and now I'm thinking it would be really rude of me now to stop talking to these, inverted commas, ordinary guys who may, have, may be on the TV crew or so. Maybe they're yeah. having food. I don't know who they are. <laughs> to talk to Charlize Theron. That would be rude. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of yeah. smiled and went, yeah, and just carried on talking to and the others and basically blanked Charlize Theron who then just walked away I do that, oh, sort of wow. stuff, that stuff all the time <laughs> really like overthinking it and that has stayed with me like I've replayed that that was years ago like these things these things haunt me so I decided I'm really not very good at hobnobbing well if it's any consolation if that's the episode where you're counting the rice yes uh, that is one that gets played a lot in our house because it blows my son's oh, mind it's his favourite bit of that's yours. nice that's just not my memory of that day at all but it's nice <laughs> it's nice as it is <laughs> okay Darren well I've got to go and do boring old practical home things thank you so much for coming on I really thank you very it. much for having me on Steve we'll see you at some juncture we'll come to your part of the world at some that, point that'll be lovely I'll have a mooch yeah alright okay. All right. See you later. All right, I'm going to go and get a cup of tea. <laughs> Bye. There he is, Darren 
Brown for your listening pleasure. How was that? We talked about Sully, didn't we? We sort of skirted around. We talked about his shows a little bit here and there. I think that was quite good. And I love that little chat at the end, his insight into being famous, something I don't mind asking uh, people I feel comfortable with. Be sure to check out his TV specials on Netflix, Channel 4, and if you can, go and see him live. And even if you've seen everything, watch it all again, because he's bloody amazing. Beep, beep. Now to today's outro track. It's a song called She's the One I Miss. Now, this song is often mistaken for a love song. It is sort of, but it's not in the conventional sense. It's a song for my friend who was helping me through quite a difficult period of time uh, where I was convinced I felt certain feelings for two different people and I couldn't really work out what to do. And uh, when I ended up recording the album, I didn't miss either of those people. I actually missed my friend. So here we go. She's the one I miss. She's the one I miss, yeah. She's the one I miss, yeah. 
Okay, that was Darren Brown. I hope you really enjoyed that episode and come back next week for another one. It's going to be another good guest. See you then. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye for now.